The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So uh, that's where, where I've taken a lot of the thoughts about what I want to talk about. So when I'm talking about right speech tonight, I would like you to consider all of the ways in which we speak. We speak with our voices. We speak words. We speak with our bodies. We speak with our hands, with our attitude. We speak in symbols, how we dress, how we don't dress, how we direct our attention. We speak with the way we write. We speak in email. We speak on Facebook. We speak on Twitter. There are many ways that we speak. And so when we're talking tonight, as I'm, as I'm talking about some of the things that we want to keep in mind, I encourage you to keep in mind that there are many ways that we speak. And to see maybe there's some ways that we speak or that we listen or that we don't listen that are about communication. And those are the things that we want to consider tonight. So speaking of communication, I forgot to set this up so that it wouldn't continually turn itself off. <laughs> so I'm going to take a minute to see if I can find that function. Oh, oh I think it's under display. There we go. Sorry about that. Because I don't look at this device all the time when I'm speaking deliberately, I don't want to lose my place. Okay. <clears throat> so when we talk about speech, the Buddha said we are well-spoken when we have five characteristics. These are the, the typical five characteristics. Um, we're, first of all, abstaining from false speech, from divisive speech, from harsh speech, and from idle chatter. Okay, those are just kind of categories. But the five things to keep in mind are, first of all, that it is timely. Timely. So it's the right time to, to speak this, to speak this truth. It has nothing to do with whether it's true or false. Is this the time? Is this the time that makes it okay? Is this the time that is appropriate? Is this the time that it is required? Timeliness. There's a right time and a wrong time to speak things. Sometimes when we're in the midst of an uproar, speaking something that's true can be quite destructive. It has a lot to do with how the person is attending to what we're saying. Is someone listening? Are they not listening? Are they angry with us? Are they upset with us? Are they preoccupied? Are we preoccupied? Is this the right time? Is this the time when it must be spoken? If it doesn't get spoken now, when 
if I pass up this opportunity to say this now, when it has impact, saying it later might mean nothing. Might be harmful. Timeliness is very important. And then is it true? Is it true? So many things we believe that we never question for accuracy. How do we know it's true? Is it, is it because of our direct experience that we say it's true? Or is it indirect? Well, uh, it feels right. It feels right. I can say this because, yeah, it feels like, you know, feels right. Are we speaking from uh, a place of expertise? This is something I know about. If it's something I know about and needs to be said, I am required to say it. If it's something I really don't know about, I may need to think about how well do I know this thing. Today I saw uh, a meme on the internet that purported purported to show uh, some black-clad person beating up a policeman with a pipe and this there was a symbol on an, an anti-fascist symbol on the back of this person's shirt and this was purported to happen in Charlottesville over the weekend however it turns out that it was recognized by people who did know the picture to be a picture that took place in 2012 in Greece at the time of an uprising there and somebody had altered the image on the back of the black shirt. What do you believe? Where do you get your information? How can you believe what you see? How diligently do you try to decide if something is true? How true is it? Is it just kind of true? Sometimes it's true. Are there conditions around it? It's a question of accuracy of truth when we're speaking to someone. Condition of accuracy. Is it an exaggeration or hyperbole? You know, I, I have been somebody who very readily will exaggerate. I'll say, oh, they're just gobs of people. Not very informative, actually, and maybe there were just more than five. <laughs> you know? the, the question of how we use exaggeration, when we use exaggeration, and maybe we shouldn't use it at all. It happens to be something I'm working on, so it comes to mind that I don't exaggerate. Is it something that you've studied, that you really know about? How do you speak with authority? You speak with authority partially when when you're really, you have accurate information about something. The third item is, is it kind? Is it spoken kindly? Is it spoken gently? What is the tone of voice that you speak in? What are the terms you use? 
What are the conditions of the words that you use? What is, what's the intention behind what you're doing? Do you use name-calling, ridicule? Do you puff someone up so that they'll listen to you? Is it kind? Is it gentle? Is it reasoned? Is the emotion true when you speak? The fourth one is, is it useful? Is it beneficial? It may be true, but if it's not useful to say it, don't bother. If it's really not useful to say it, why say it? Sometimes it's too late to say something. The moment of influencing the outcome of some action has already passed. There's really no point. It is not useful. It's making a point for some end, but it's not useful. Does it make a difference? Is it about making me right? i got to say this because I've got to be right. It's important that you know I'm right. I need your acknowledgement that I'm right. No longer useful, but I need. Not useful, not skillful. How important is the truth to the person hearing it? Does it make a difference? You know, when you see married couples, they very often start telling a story, and one person will start it, and then another person will start it. And, and then they're pretty soon, they're, no, the car was not blue. It was definitely yellow. And the color of the car has nothing to do with the story. But it becomes very important because each of them has remembered something about the story from their perspective. And so the story has meaning and has juice and it has energy. And so they, they want to tell the story their way. Each person wants to tell it their way. At a certain point, you say, is this important, whether the car was yellow or blue? What was important is what the car did. Or didn't do. Or maybe it had nothing really to do with the car. Maybe the car was crossing, and that's when you saw the person over there doing that outrageous thing. So it is a question of seeing and knowing is it useful. And the fifth item, what is, what is in your mind? What is in your mind? What is the condition of your mind? Does it have kindness or ill will? Are you in the mind of revenge, retaliation? Are you confused? Right speech, skillful speech, comes from a mind that is full of loving kindness. It's interesting if you are feeling a sense of love and warmth in your heart, it's actually very hard to utter angry words. It's actually difficult. 
the same words. When I was putting this talk together, I was, at the beginning, quite upset and outraged. And as I started working on it and thinking about all of this, that softened. It just softened. And the outrage left. The condemnation of what I was hearing did not go away, but the outrage, the anger part of it left. I hope that makes sense. It isn't that it was diluted, that it no longer had a space. One can say, this is wrong, and still have harmony in your own mind. So, when speech possesses these five factors, it is well-spoken, well-spoken. Timeliness, truth, uh, said kindly from a place of uh, loving-kindness, and useful. Not forgetting useful. Okay. So, on the other hand, you can look at things from another point of view and say, well then, when is speech not skillful? When, is it, when does it lead to impurity of spirit? So what the Buddha said about that is when someone speaks falsehood and gave as an example that you're called to a council or a court or in somebody's presence, and you're questioned as a witness, what do you know? And then when the person says, not knowing that he knows, this is not good. Or say, when he does know, saying, I don't know. This is false speech for some end. Or not seeing, he says, I see, I saw. Or seeing, he says, no, I didn't see anything. Misrepresentation is a problem. Misrepresentation. Claiming not to know when one knows is a problem. Claiming not to see when one sees is a problem. I'm not saying there are never conditions under which you would not speak. Where there is, where there is harm, you would not speak. But it is the, the principle that right speech is not only about not telling lies. It's about showing up for how things are. This is how things are. Another example that the Buddha cited as uh, not right speech is speaking divisively. Having heard something here, he repeats it over there with the idea of dividing those people. Or having heard something here, he speaks it over there with the goal of dividing those people. 
This is a strategy people use. This is a strategy used in politics and in manipulation of groups to try to divide people, to try to put up barriers between them. It's something that we sometimes do unconsciously. Well, do you know what she said? Knowing that telling this other person what she said would cause discord, because then you'll like me more. Or you want to get even with somebody, so you tell somebody, okay, I'm just going to tell them what you said. But the intention, the intention is divisiveness. Putting barriers between people. The one who divides those who are united, a creator of divisions, one who enjoys factions, rejoices in factions, delights in factions, a speaker of words that create factions, is a person who is not following right speech, who is not following the principles of not harming with the way they speak, the things they say, the things we say. Speaking harshly, he utters words that are rough, hard, hurtful to others, offensive to others, bordering on angry anger, angry words, yelling at people, trying to get a reaction from people. This is not coming from a place of loving kindness. This is not coming from a place of non-harming. Indulging in idle chatter. Speaking falsely, speaking what's unbeneficial, speaking contrary to what you know is true. All of these things are very obvious. The thing to keep in mind here has, is the... Um, the imperative to consider what you're going to say before you say it. To notice what's happening when you're saying it. And to reflect on it afterward. If there is harm to someone else, if there is harm to you, if there is harm to both, then don't do it. Don't do it again. Stop doing it now. Don't do it in the future. This is the advice of the Buddha to his son Rahula when he was telling him how to know, how to know what to do. And he said, reflect, look for the harm. Is, who is this harming? If it isn't harming, cultivate it. If it is harming, don't do it anymore. This isn't about condemning yourself or anyone else. This is about paying close attention to what it is that is the message that we're putting out. And asking the question, is someone harmed? If someone is harmed, don't do it. Stop. Resolve not to do it in the future. Yesterday, I watched a video of... Um, 
uh, a white supremacist. And this video, I don't know if any of you saw it. It was, uh, it was by a uh, uh, group called Vice, and it was, they were uh, a, either a division somehow affiliated with HBO. And they had a reporter who was inserted with following this particular white supremacist through the events Friday and Saturday night in Charlottesville. This video was truly disturbing. There was a lot of hate. There was a lot of uh, discord. It was violent. It contained uh, a lot of action during the day. The... um, At the end of the day, this particular person that she was following uh, threw his guns on the bed of the hotel room. He had five guns. He had two uh, assault rifles, two handguns, an ankle gun, holster in his ankle, and a knife. And he claimed he was nonviolent. Well, all the messages I got were not that. All the messages I got were that he was ready for violence. There was a subsequent video that he put on his Facebook page uh, when he discovered that the, uh, the police were looking for him. And he was crying, and he was a victim, and he was asserting his nonviolence and people were out to get him. And it was really sad. With the guns, he was arrogant. Without them, he was not. And yet everything that came out of his mouth was hateful. The words were hateful. The directions were hateful. The assertions were hateful. And yet this was a, clearly a wounded person. The video also showed um, the, you know, the car that, that ran into the, uh, the, the counter-protesters. And there was a man sitting on, the, on the, the edge of the road, the street, who was a doctor who had tried to do CPR on the woman who died. And he was sitting there and he said, I tried. And then he was speechless. He was without speech. And his gesture of sitting there, speechless, spoke volumes. It spoke louder than anything he could have said. When words, when words do not suffice for what is occurring, for what you're feeling, how do you respond? Should you respond?
the Buddha had a lot to say about how you behave in community. In addition to this discussion about right speech, he said, this is how you behave in community. So he said, how do you hold discussions? So now we're going to move to, okay, so now you feel that there is something that needs to be said. How do you do this? How do you do this? Especially when you're, when you're very charged about something. How do you respond? How do you speak? So he said, if a person is asked a question that should be answered categorically, he should answer it categorically. If it's a yes-no question, it should be answered as a yes-no question, not as, well, under certain circumstances and after all and explanations and diversions. No. No. If it should be answered categorically, it needs to be answered categorically. This is the answer. If he's asked a question that should be answered after making a distinction, well, I understand your question. However, to make sure that I understand your question correctly, here's what I think you said, and then I respond. So if there's a distinction to be made, the distinction should be made. It shouldn't just be offhand. I've got an answer for that. If it calls for distinction, make the distinction. Maybe it should be answered, it should be responded to by a counter question. Is this what you meant? Did I get this right? Maybe that's the right thing to say. And if you're asked a question that should be set aside, set it aside. If it's a question that answering at this time is not timely, don't answer it at this time. If answering this question is going to cause harm to someone else, to you, to both of you, don't answer the question. It's really simple. If this person answers appropriately, if he answers categorically when it's required, if he answers with distinction when it's required, if he answers with a counter question when it's required, if he does not answer when it's time to set the question aside, in such a case, this person is fit to talk. The Buddha made a big deal out of, are you fit to talk? And if you can't do these things, you are not fit to talk at this time. If a person does not stand firm in regard to his position and the opposing position, he is not fit to talk if he cannot stay firm. If you cannot say, stay firm in your strategy, your plan of action. If you can't stay firm, you're not fit to talk about it. If you cannot stay firm in assertion about what is known, if you can't stick up for something that is known, you're not fit to talk. If he does not stand firm in the procedure, 
the agreed-upon way of doing things. Not fit to talk. If you're in a circle and you agree that only one person speaks at a time and you're speaking over them, you are not fit to talk. It's not the agreement. A person, when asked a question, who does not answer evasively, divert the discussion to an irrelevant subject, display anger, hatred, and bitterness, in such a case, this person is fit to talk. Oh. <clears throat> A person asked a question, he does not overwhelm the questioner, crush him, ridicule him, seize upon a slight error to, to say this person is not accurate, this person is fit to talk. That's an interesting one. Seize on a slight error. We've all seen how that works. Well... There weren't five people there. There were six people there. So I don't believe anything you said. A person should be, understand, should be understood as having a supporting condition or not having a supporting condition. And this refers to uh, uh, a condition that for, for uh, skillful speech. One of these conditions would be being free of ill will, for example. If you're really angry and you're looking for revenge, this is not a condition that supports right speech. But also part of that is one who does not lend an ear does not have a supporting condition. If you're not listening, you don't have, you're not in the condition for a clear, clean, kind conversation. You have to actually listen. One of, the, one of the great difficulties when trying to present a case to someone is that you're always thinking about what you're going to say next. And you miss what they're saying because you're thinking what you're going to say next. Or they've said something and you're preparing your response to that. Not useful. This monks is the goal of talk, the goal of discussion, the goal of a supporting condition, the goal of lending an ear. That is, the emancipation of the mind through non-clinging. Where did that come from? Non-clinging. I have to have my way or I can't discuss it. I have to be right or I can't discuss it. I have to win or I can't discuss it. The only way I can discuss it is if I win. The only way I can discuss it is if you change your mind. So another piece of advice had to do with choosing who you're talking to and how you're talking to them. So one of his pieces of advice was, don't make an argument of faith to someone who is a non-believer. Oh. <laughs> don't, 
Don't talk about vir virtuous behavior to an immoral person. Don't talk on learning to one who has little learning. Don't talk on generosity to a miser. And don't talk about wisdom to an unwise person. Why? These seem like conditions that cry out for correction. Because a person devoid of faith who is given, being given a talk on faith loses his temper, becomes irritated, hostile, and stubborn. He displays anger, hatred, and bitterness. Ah, <laughs> the goal of conversation is not to get a reaction from someone. And if you are choosing, if we are choosing to speak to someone in an inappropriate way, what we get back is anger and hostility. Anger and hostility. Don't create arguments. If you're simply argument, you can't, arguing, you can't change anybody's mind. Don't create arguments. Once you're yelling, the other person can't hear you anymore. And you notice this. When someone's yelling at you, can you hear them? You hear the noise, maybe. But you can't hear what they say. There's a, there's a complete barrier. But one of the most interesting things I ran across had to do with assigning praise and blame. Assigning praise and blame. So, a monk is deposited in hell. A wise person is deposited in hell if, without investigating and scrutinizing, he speaks praise of one who deserves dispraise. Without investigating and scrutinizing, he speaks dispraise of one who deserves praise. Okay. So, refusal to call out bad behavior, lawlessness, hatred. This person just invites themselves to hell. <laughs> or castigating one's enemies unfairly. Shaming, ridicule, not useful. Without investigating and scrutinizing, he believes a matter that merits suspicion. So an example of this might be ignoring warnings, discarding facts, getting your information from questionable sources. This would be believing a matter that merits suspicion. Without investigating and scrutinizing, he's suspicious about a merit matter that merits belief. Refusing to hear counterfacts. I'm not going to hear that. I would have to put refusal to believe in climate change in that category. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> Whereas somebody is deposited in heaven 
who, after investigating and scrutinizing, speaks dispraise of one who deserves dispraise. After scrutinizing and investigating, speaks praise of one who deserves praise. Having investigated and scrutinized, he's suspicious about a merit, a, a matter that merits suspicion. Having investigated and scrutinized, he believes a matter that merits belief. He does not squander what has been given. Possessing these qualities, a wise man is deposited in heaven. That sounds great, doesn't it? Of all the possibilities, the Buddha says the best thing, the most excellent and sublime, is the one who speaks dispraise of someone who deserves dispraise. And the dispraise is accurate, truthful, and timely. And also speaks praise of someone who deserves praise. And the praise is accurate, truthful, and timely. Because what excels is knowledge of the proper time to speak in any particular case. I was really moved by that. That was sort of, this was the Buddha saying, there is a time that the timing of what you say is crucial and important. In the last few days, I've heard people speak against speech they considered beyond the pale. I've heard people who have politically supported something that on an ethical basis, they can't go there. I've seen people who come from a particular political perspective saying, no. This gives me great hope. This gives me great hope. They spoke in dispraise of those who deserve dispraise and in favor of those who deserve praise. And their statements were true, accurate, and timely. There are times when not to speak is harmful. This is what's primarily been on my mind. There are times when not to speak is harmful. But the largest caveat has to do with the story that the Buddha told then when, after he talked about all these ways of speaking. Suppose a man came with a hoe and a basket <clears throat> and he's going to make the earth disappear by digging it up. And he digs and he digs and he digs and he spits on the ground and he throws it around. Be without earth, be without earth. And of course, none of this makes any difference. The earth is still there. Why is that? Because this great earth is deep and immense, he said. It's not easy to make it be without earth. And so the way to practice is so that our minds will be, when we are speaking to someone, regardless of how they speak to us, whether they speak to us in a way that is timely, 
true, kind, useful, and with goodwill, whether they do or do not, we remain unaffected by that approach. We utter no evil words. We abide compassionate for their welfare. With a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. Not easy. If that is deep enough, if our practice for being clear about how we want to be in the world, we are much better able to respond to what we see in the world. It becomes an earth that we don't get rid of, that we can't get rid of. I think that's enough. I think that's enough. I'm going to read you something that has been helpful. This is a poem by a poet <clears throat> named Wystawa Symborska. She was a Polish poet, Nobel Prize winner. And this is called A Contribution to Statistics. Out of 100 people, those who always know better 52. Doubting every step, nearly all the rest. Glad to lend a hand if it doesn't take too long, as high as 49. Always good because they can't be otherwise, four, well, maybe five. Able to admire without envy, 18. Suffering illusions induced by fleeting youth, 60, give or take a few. Not to be taken lightly, 40 and 4. Living in constant fear of someone or something, 77. Capable of happiness, 20-something tops. Harmless singly, savage in crowds, half at least. Cruel when forced by circumstances, Better not to know, even ballpark figures. Wise after the fact, just a couple more than wise before it. <laughs> Taking only things from life, 30. I wish I were wrong. Hunched in pain, no flashlight in the dark, 83 sooner or later. Righteous, 35, which is a lot. Righteous in understanding, 3. Worthy of compassion, 99. Mortal, 100 out of 100. Thus far, this figure still remains unchanged. So I read you this because very often we create enemies and we don't see them as members of our community. Somehow, we have to understand that we all come into this world and we want to be happy. We all want to be happy and we all die. And along the way, there are things that happen that we need to stand up for, 
or against. There are ways of being that are important to us that aren't actually statistics. They are individual for us. And the only speech that we can pass judgment on is our own. The only speech we can truly do something about is our own. When I say that, I mean the broad way of how we communicate with the world, our responsibility to communicate, and our willingness to communicate. Is it timely? Is it true and accurate? Is it kind? Is it useful? Does it come from an intention of compassion and loving kindness? May we all know and experience and live with right peace. Thank you. So I'm open to objections and comments. Or stories. Thanks. So uh, I guess I'm sort of wondering about... um, could it be a form of like renunciation to uh, separate or distance oneself from somebody who one sees as like unskillful? Um, and where do you see it? Like, I mean, sometimes you have to be, and that's part of a song, you have to be around them and you have to learn how to deal with that. But like, what, when is it skillful to distance oneself and when, when is it, um, you know, I, I yeah. When there is harm, you know the um, there, there. I have a friend, a friend that I don't see because we clash, <laughs> and there's no good reason for it. We're both people of goodwill, but we just clash. I try not to be around her. Not because she's a bad person at all. She's a very good person. We just clash. The wisest thing I can find to do is to step away. So there's an example of stepping away. In a, in a, uh, a vocal argument, um, it's often wise to step away when the energy is too high. I don't know. Does that answer the concern you had? Yeah. Um, also, the um, the dispraise thing. Uh-huh. What is like? How does one show that in like a non-harming way? Like, how does one dispraise in a non-harming way, skillful way? <coughs> I think. There is a point at which it is appropriate to say this behavior, this hatred behavior, is not acceptable. I will not accept this behavior. This behavior is inappropriate, period, categorically. Is that clear enough? 
without naming names and pointing fingers. Um, there are there are behaviors that are unacceptable, and they need to be they need to be called out as unacceptable. I read a, an absolutely wonderful poem this afternoon by Langston Hughes, but I don't have it here. Um, and there was a repeating theme in this poem. Uh, we need to make America again. Yeah, you heard the missing word too. We need to make America again. And then he repeats the things that are important about it and said of course I've never known this freedom also a repeating theme the poem is just stunning uh, I'm coming back in a couple of weeks the first part of September maybe I'll do something on on the adversity and I'll bring that poem it's, a, it's just wonderful um, and I think one of the things I loved about the poem is in pointing out the very the very dream, he was also pointing out why it, the, its failure and his refusal to give up the dream. This this is a valued thing, and I need to speak to this, and I need to speak to the fact that I am prevented. Also, I, I find I find that very true and accurate and timely. Enough of that. I've been really affected by this stuff this week. <laughs> Are there any other comments? Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you for lending your ears.